you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Scott McCarthy. Welcome, Scott. Hey, Mads, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on the show. Looking forward to it. Fantastic. And you are traveling right now, Scott, but you're still eager to talk about leadership and management. So that's that's fantastic. Uh, just before we jump into all this stuff, would you mind giving the audience a little bit of background to who you are and how you ended up where you are right now? For sure. So I'll keep it Cole's Notes short version for you. Uh, and I summarize it by by day. I'm a senior Canadian Army officer, so I lead uh, lead troops. Uh, and then by night, I, I run my own side hustle as a leadership coach and consultant. Uh, so leadership is obviously near and dear to my heart because uh, it, it's literally what I do all day and every day, day in, day out, all day long. So uh, hence why, I, you know, hence why I'm here, I guess. So that's the quick and dirty for me. Fantastic. And how do you see the army being different to like regular business? Do you see a big difference in leadership in those areas? It's funny. Um, So I was giving a speech to a school once, uh, like a university class, and and someone actually kind of hit a similar question. And I I responded in an interesting way. I said, you know, in the end, um, what does the military do? Its goal is to save lives, right? If, you, if we boil it down, it's goals to save lives. So let, let's look at it from a business context. So what's the business's you know, goal, ambition? Make money, right? So how does it make money? Well, it sells either products or services. Okay, cool. Who does the either the production? Who does the actual sales of all that you know, products and services? Humans. People, right? All right, cool. Let's keep running with that. Let's keep running with this string. So how do people get compensated for their time in either creating or selling those products money you know they get paid right you know they also get time off and benefits and all this stuff but ultimately people are working to get money let's call a spade a spade well what do they do with the money well they turn around they put a roof over their head they put food on their tables which ultimately if they didn't have those things what would have occurred you, you, you get the point what i'm what i'm pointing yep. at right so yep. You know, in a day, if you if you're looking at a business from the standpoint of I'm here to take care of my people so that they can go ahead and put you know food on their table and a roof over their head, leading in in business and leading in the army isn't that really that different when you boil it down. So yeah, love it, love it. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So leadership in general, uh, you have what you call the three domains of leadership. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? For sure. So like you, I'm a podcaster as well, and I've read a ton of books on on the topic. Obviously, I've, I've sat in many courses. And in fact, the reason why I'm train, or traveling right now is because I'm on yet another leadership development course uh, for the military. So, um, so I obviously have a passion for it. And I look into things and when we go on these trainings, when we read a lot of books, you hear a lot of good stories, you know, all the good things to do. I get interested in the failures. Why people fail? How do, why does organizations crumble? Where do leaders go wrong? And then as I started looking at it, I'm like, 
I started grouping things because I'm a bit of a structural guy. If it's not logical and, and in line with me, it doesn't make sense. You know, my mapping does not work for this guy. Um, <clears throat> so I started like looking at things and grouping them and I realized they started, you know, people fail because of one of three groups. And that is they failed to lead themselves. So they either failed to take care of themselves physically, you know, mentally, health-wise, they stopped learning, developing themselves, they stopped growing as an individual, they fa- or they failed, uh, the team failed, so the team themselves, they stopped, you know, failed leading the team, so they didn't take care of their people, they didn't take care of the individuals within their teams, right, didn't take care of John, didn't take care of Scott, didn't take care of Sally, didn't, you know, didn't establish a high-performing team, or they didn't take care of their organization, so they either financially ran it to the ground, uh, couldn't budget allocate, they didn't develop a, a culture, right? When you talk about, you know, a bunch of different companies out there with pretty bad cultures right now. Uh, so they didn't do that. They didn't actually establish, you know, a structure, a formal organization that enabled people to either be innovative or have it structured enough so that they couldn't be too innovative, depending on what you're actually trying to achieve and so on and so forth. So that's how I break it down is, you know what, us as leaders, we need to look look across these three different domains, these three different aspects. We need to lead ourselves, lead our teams, and then lead our organizations. So those are the three domains. Cool. Yeah, I love the way you look at it in terms of failures. I think, uh, I mean, many people, when they get into management, they have often had a lot of uh, inspirational leaders that in the in the negative way, right? Because- Oh, yes. Unfo- oh, yes, un- unfortunately. Unfortunately, what happens is most leaders are not very well developed. And again, I always say it's not people don't want to be bad leaders, but people do what they think is the right thing. And if you don't know any better, if you haven't had much training, then, you know, often you don't end up as a great leader. So um, I, I see a lot of people that, you know, get into a management role, but they have a lot of great example of what not to do, but they don't have a lot of great examples of what to do. Right. Right. When you when you don't know what to do, you do what you know. And my experience, I've seen this heavily across, and I'm sure you too, the sales manager, you know, the superstar rock star sales guy or girl that gets promoted. Why? Because they're breaking records across the board, but then they get into the manager role and they're like tearing their hair up. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand it. This is not working. What I did before is not working. You know, I'm telling people to do the things I did, you know, read the script, stick to the script, do this, do that. And they're not getting the numbers that I did. Well, congratulations. What you did in your previous job is not going to necessarily work for you now as a leader of a team. And that's something that I see all the time. Yeah. One of the, one of the big pet peeves I often have with that one is that people have this idea that a, a great sales guy does not necessarily make a great sales manager. And my, my philosophy around it is a little bit different. My philosophy is that if someone can learn how to be the best sales guy, they can also learn how to be a great manager, but it doesn't happen naturally, right? They right. need yes. training, they need development, but but if someone have it in them, the same with engineers, right? Like a lot of time people are like, oh, engineers can't be leaders or whatever. But the way I look at it is if someone have the capability to become an amazing freaking engineer, they also have the capability to learn leadership and management, but it obviously takes learning, right? It's not something they're born with. So. No, hundred percent. And that, that is definitely uh, 
my, my thought process is as well. Don't, don't uh, think otherwise. I'm just saying that what yeah. got them there, what got them, you know, all the recognition as, you know, the top salesperson isn't going to turn around and get them all the recognition to become, you know, the top sales manager per se. Yeah. They, they need to, you need to learn new skills. You need to learn new skill sets, new, new strategies, so on and so forth. Cause you're now dealing with people in a completely different context. What you did before when you're a salesperson, you're trying to negotiate, you're trying to seal the deals and stuff like this. When you're a sales manager, yeah, you're still, you're still doing a little bit of negotiation and stuff, but it's totally different. It's not the same type of thing. You're not trying to get someone to buy a product or service, but rather now get someone to buy into your vision, your intent, uh, how you see things, the changes that you want them to do, so on and so forth. So it's, it's different. Cool. I'd love to dig into your three domains of leadership a little bit more. So if we if we take it at a relatively high level, so the, the yep. first one in terms of managing yourself and developing yourself, what, what do you generally recommend for managers to do? Like, how do you recommend for them to, to stay ahead of that? Yeah, so leading yourself. So, um, you know, first off, a couple of couple things that come to mind, uh, you know, take an inventory right now. How well are you actually leading yourself? Are you actually one? Let's look at like seriously basics right now. That's, you know, how are you actually eating? How are you actually sleeping? Because guess what? Those actually do have a serious impact on your, uh, your irritability, how well you can actually think, you know, your mood and so on and so forth. So if you're not getting, if you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're going to be more irritable. You're not going to be as, uh, uh, people won't come to you, right? You won't be as open, right? Because you're going to be you know, angry, you're going to be tired, so on and so forth. You can't, your decision-making process goes down because you can't think straight because you're cloudy judgment. You're probably pumping coffee or Red Bull or whatever have you to try to keep, you know, going, keep going. So those are two quick hits, all right? Physical fitness, uh, it's proven fact, right? Physical fitness helps reduce stress, helps you sleep better, helps you, uh, uh, you know, uh, think clear, helps so many different things. Are you actually doing any type of workout? You know, me personally, I'm up at 5am every morning. I get up, I get a workout in every day. Like if I don't get that in my day is actually like, it doesn't go as well. So there's that. So those are like a couple quick hits. Uh, I also say for the leaders out there, you know, the moment you stop learning is the moment you become useless to your organization. So are you keeping up with the trends that is in your business, in your uh, industry, so on and so forth? So those are a couple of different quick hits. I also talk about heavily on uh, having high performing um, uh, morning routines. So think of things. So get up in the morning. Uh, you know, are you going to the phone first thing? How many people actually wake up in the morning and the first thing they touch before their feet actually hits the floor is their cell phone? If you do that, psychologically, what's happening is that your brain uh, skips a couple of stages of the awakening process. So you end up in a reactive mode immediately of the day by say proactive being able to think through things in the day. So you actually need to, you know, physiologically stay away from the phone because now you're actually setting yourself up for failure, vice for success. So that's one of the, uh, what I talked about is eight habits for a solid morning routine for a leader. Uh, a couple of those, obviously physical fitness is one uh, reading. So again, tie that one back to keeping up with, you know, what's going on and learning, continuous learning and so forth. That's a solid one there. Uh, journaling. So uh, studies show journaling actually helps people, you know, put your thoughts down, enables you to kind of get the noise out of your head. Because as leaders out there, as business owners, managers, middle managers, so on and so forth, there's a lot of different things, especially if you're in the middle, right? And I'm still technically in the middle and, and, or sometimes I'm at the higher end, depends on where I'm working. 
but the moral of the story is this you're, you're getting you're getting information you're getting input from both both sides both upper and lower and you're stuck in the middle and you're trying to figure things out well sitting there and journaling for 10 15 minutes a day could actually help you get your thoughts out enable you to actually reflect on things a lot better and actually enable you to do better decision making uh, meditation mindfulness again another solid thing to do in the day to enable you just to clear your mind, clear your mind of the nose. Um, talked about uh, being healthy and the way you eat. Again, morning breakfast, if that's that's your thing, uh, and reading. And yeah, so that's that's some components of like a morning routine that can help you set up. Now, do you need to go through and do all of these? Heck no. You know, if you're doing none of them, I would say to you as a leader out there, do one right now and get that down path, right? You know, just take one thing and say, okay, I'm going to start leading myself. I'm going to start getting up. I'm going to go for a morning walk. And congratulations, there's your exercise because that's actually the most underrated form of exercise going on right now. So yeah. you, you do that, you do that for a month and you got down path. Like, okay, cool. You know what? I'm going to add in, you know, a podcast of my, of my industry. Holy cow, two for one. That's what we refer to as stacking, right? When you're stacking yeah. different habits together, that enables you to, you know, basically use your time that you have, because that's the other thing. Time is, is precious quantity. We don't, you can't make any more time, but what you can do is uh, basically use the time you got available to the best way possible. So stacking is a great way to do that. So those are a couple of different ways to lead yourself out there. Yeah. And I think, I think, I mean, I'm a huge fan of atomic habits. If you've read that one, uh, which is again about habit stacking and all this stuff. But I, I think fundamentally for me, definitely I've, I've, I've done a lot of different habits over time. And uh, I used to, when I worked corporately, I used to get up at 4.30 every morning and same as yourself. I used to go for a one hour run, have my breakfast and great start to the day and all this stuff. Um, now, unfortunately, I'm traveling around the world a lot, uh, which means I'm always having meetings and funny time zones and funny times of the day. And that 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 definitely pushed my sleep a little bit. But I, I think the whole thing for me, again, is still just simple habits, right? I mean, it probably sounds silly, but, you know, when you wake up, go have a shower, shave, all that kind of stuff, like just those simple habits so that you don't realize at 12, oh, you know, I didn't shave today. I should go do that. Or I didn't, I didn't eat today. You know, it's 12 o'clock. I should eat. I should go and do that. So just having just basic habits that help you do some of the things that you should do, even simple things like making your bed or whatever, right? Like if you do it as part of a habit, it one, it makes you feel much better because you're doing things in the in an automation way so again for me it, it's also a lot about decision making because if you're constantly every morning if you're like hey what do i do first is it this thing or that thing or whatever like you use a lot of your decision making power on very basic stuff that ain't actually adding a ton of value right so so just having consistent habits particularly in the morning just makes a lot of things so much easier so totally agree with that and i, I love the way you look at it. um what about the next one? So the team, taking care of the team. How yeah, you leading your team. So uh, as I said uh, earlier, that's where we talk about the individuals of your team, right? Uh, John, Jane, Sally, Susie. Right? And I'll ask you know your listener out there right now, and before I, I dive deeper, what do you do when you first get into work in the morning? Reflect on that. What do you do? What, and I'll, I'll probably answer your question, my own question uh, from you. You probably show up and you probably lay your briefcase down, your jacket, your backpack, whatever have you. Log in, maybe check your email, maybe check your calendar. One of those two things. Do you want to know what I spend my first 30 minutes of the day doing? 
saying good morning to everyone. Walking around, checking in with team members with my cup of coffee. First 30 minutes every day, I walk around and check in on my team. And the most important, here's the most important thing. I don't talk shop. I stay away from the shop talk. I ask about their nights, you know, what's going on in their lives. You know, what did they do the night before? Maybe it was Monday. So, you know, weekend, getting caught up on the weekend. I've been away now for a while. So when I get back next week, it's going to be, you know, a lot to talk about. Uh, but I avoid the shop talk. And the reason for that is what I'm trying to do is develop that bond, you know, that relationship with my team members. I'm trying to get to know them at a, at a deeper personal level than simply John, who works sales, you know, my sales, my regional sales desk there, Sally, who does accounting over here, whatever. I'm trying to get to know them as, you know, John Smith, Sally Joe, you know, the individuals. Why? Because when you know people at a deeper level, deeper, meaningful level like that, you're going to be able to interact with them in a way that will inspire them a lot more. You'll understand where they actually, you know, what motivates them, what inspires them, what ticks them off. You know, you will avoid those pitfalls. You'll be able to actually turn around and, you know, recognize them the way that they want to be recognized, right? You know, we hear about the golden rule all the time, treat people like how you want to be treated. Well, that's that needs to get tossed out and get replaced by what we refer to as the platinum rule. Treat people how they want to be treated, right? And you only know how to how to actually treat them by actually getting to know them and not by knowing them as the accountant or the sales guy and gal, but rather the individual. So you're going around. Now, that being said, there's always, always method to the madness, right? So you're understanding that, but as well as you're enabling yourself to make those work connections and, and, and enable you to develop that high-performing team. High-performing teams are teams that feel bonded together, right? That's why military organizations, you see, you see it all the time. They're high-performing teams. Why? Because we know each other so deeply, so well that you will basically do anything for each other. And that's what you want out of your team at the workplace, right? Now, obviously, I'm not expecting people to go jump on grenades or jump in the line of fire, stuff like this. But at the same time, when, you know, Sally's having a rough time, and you know that, oh, her child has been sick lately. And the rest of the team understands that and knows that, well, they're going to be more willing to step in and help her out. Right. And then all of a sudden, when Joe, Joe, John's child is sick, or maybe a sick parent or sick spouse, you know, they're willing to step in. Or suddenly a project came down the line and a deadline got, you know, shoved sooner. You know, okay, folks, we need to pitch in here. And when we all know we have each other's back because we have these deep bonded connections. Right. We're more willing to do that. That's what a high performing team does. Right. They're there when it's actually tough times or in front of them and you need to step up your game. So how do you do that? You do it by avoiding work. You do it by going around, talking to people, enabling people, you know, enabling those connections. So when you get to know people at a deeper level, you're able now to say, OK, Sally over over in counting. And John at sales, both their kids play hockey. Oh, why don't I you know, mention that in random passing? And suddenly now they're making a connection at a deeper level and it has nothing to do with work. And then suddenly it's like, holy cow, we need to get this done. I need to pull a favor. Who can I go? Oh, I'll talk to John. Hey, John, can I get a favor? Yeah, absolutely. What do you need? Right. That's, yeah. that's how we get to that high performing team. And that's just one, like, that's just one little thing about leading your team. That but you but probably with. the most important, right? Like, probably, like yeah. Me- yeah, from the relationship piece, if you do nothing else, like if you do just that, 
Like that is such a game changer. And I, I see like I'm particularly in the corporate world, right? There's so many people who are just, you know, super goal driven, super like, we need to do this, 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 this. And they couldn't even say the word good morning, right? Like it was like, have you done this? Have you done this? And just so on the on the ball with the work piece that they they totally missed out of this, right? Yeah, 100%, right? So you, you need to learn, you need to, you know, learn about your people. And there's only one way to do it. Get out of your desk, out of your office, walk around, show your face. And then all of a sudden you're personal. Now they're going to be more willing to bring problems forward to you. You're establishing a sense of psychological safety. Hello. These are all things that, you know, drive high-performing teams, drive high-performing cultures. But yet, how many leaders out there, how many you know, what I actually refer to as bosses, which is the thing we try to avoid. Because uh, my whole my whole slogan is lead, don't boss. But how many bosses out there, you just show up, just like you said, like, where's the TPS report? That's supposed to be in at eight this morning. Like, yeah, good morning, you too. Sorry, I was up at four o'clock yesterday because uh, I had to bring my kid to the hospital and I just got like running on uh, 90 minutes of sleep here. But hey, it's okay. Yeah, I'll get the TPS report, which you looked at it for 30 seconds then throw it in the garbage. All right, thanks. Thanks, dude. Oh, by the way, during my lunch break, I'm also searching, you know, for job openings everywhere else with our competitors. Why? Because people leave bosses. They don't leave, they don't leave or, you know, they don't leave jobs. Yeah. Yeah. In most cases, I would say there's definitely, um... uh, you know, that is a generalization. Yes. Some people yeah. will move on and here's the, so here's my thought on that. Right. So yes, some people will move on because an opening occurs, you know what, it's a promotion that unfortunately just to do the stagnation of their current company, they're, going, they're not going to be able to get, but an opening comes up with a competitor or another organization, whatever. Okay, cool. Now, if you treat that person with respect, with dignity, you inspire them, you motivated them, so on and so forth, your whole time there, they go over to that organization. You know what? You get a friend in court. There's well, someone not over, just Not just know? that. A year later, when they realize how not good that company is, they come knocking on your door again. Like if yep. you treated them with respect, if you said goodbye to them with respect, uh, they come knocking on your door again because they realize, hey, you know, uh, I had an amazing time. I realized that this competitor, you know, the job might be slightly cooler, but, you know, they don't treat people the same way as you do. And I, I, I see this happening all the time when people have someone is resigning and, you know, they get unhappy and they get angry and like, oh, this person is leaving me. You know, they're not they're not trustworthy. And I, I thought they were going to stay with me forever and all this. And they they treat them like shit going out the door. And obviously, they're never going to get a phone call from them wanting to come back when that's the case. Right. So um, like and this is what exactly as you say, like sometimes your company doesn't have the opportunity. Sometimes you don't have the cash. Right. Like sometimes you can't afford to pay for the best people because your competitors are willing to pay three times the amount of money that you can. Uh, but the whole thing is, again, if you lead them well, if you manage them well. Uh, and and very often I've had it happen many many times in various businesses right where where people leave they realize the grass is not green on the other side more more the opposite and they're wanting to come back right and you find no better advocates for your business than people who have left and then come back because they realized you know how good it is to work with you. The money comment is interesting. So uh, money works good up to a certain point. Uh, there was a there was a study done in the U.S. I can say here in the U.S. because I'm actually here in the U.S. Normally I'm in Canada. That's interesting to me. Sorry, random tidbit. Anyway, there was a study done here in the U.S. Uh, that I believe the number at the time was, and this is probably about 2016, 2015, I believe. But I believe it was 90k off the top of my head, 80, 90,000. That's the point where someone can actually feel like they live. Again, this is you know subjective to where you live in the country, so on and so forth. 
But the moral story is this, uh, 80, 90 grand hits a person to the point where they feel like they can live a comfortable life. And money isn't, you know, the, the law of diminishing returns drastically goes into effect. So, okay, cool. You can't match uh, a competitor's salary because of, you know, money, cash flows tighter, so on and so forth. Well, what can you do? What can you actually throw in to help retain that person? Maybe they don't care about money. Let me tell you, if, if I got offered a promotion or more time off, which one do you think I'm going to take? I don't take, know you well enough to, to <laughs> say that. I'm going to take more time off because I'm past that point. I'm past yeah. that point right now, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, money is not as huge of a motivator for me right now. I, I don't need more money. I'll take gladly take more days off. You want to give me a few more days off instead of a 10 grand raise? Sold. Yep. Sign me up. You know, uh, maybe, maybe you reward them in different ways, right? And here, okay, so let's use this example. You spend your 30 minutes a day, you get to know someone. You get to know one of your team members really well. You find out they're a huge football fan, whether that be soccer, whether that be American football, go ahead, pick your one, pick one. Uh, but they, you find out they're a huge football fan and you know what, their goal, their dream, one of their biggest dreams is to bring their parent to a, a match of you know their favorite team. Well, maybe you surprise them with just that, right? Is that you know a $30,000 raise? No, maybe that's going to cost you two or three grand. But they've been a super high performer for you, you know, and you just learn that and you reward them with that vice, you know, or award or something, a plaque that's going to go up on their wall. You know, that shows how connected you are, how well you're tied into your organization, your people, and how well you take care of them. You look after them. You actually think about you know what they want, how they want to be treated. And now, you know what? Money isn't going to be such a huge motivator. Yes, yeah. it will motivate some. Some people are 100% motivated by money. Congratulations. Guess what? You're not going to keep them anyway. They will always find somewhere else. Yeah, and, and I think also just to growth in organizations, right? Like, like sometimes, depending on... Uh, how how fast you're growing. I mean, sometimes people outgrow you as a business, right? And and it's not just a question of the management piece, but it's also you know some people sometimes people want new challenges. They want to push themselves and so on. And and as an organization, you can't always necessarily have the space for that, right? Um. So yeah, but I I love it. I love it. What about the third pillar then? So leading your organization, how do you go around doing that effectively? Right. So for me, um, I'm really a huge fan of a gentleman by the name of Tim Clark. Uh, Tim wrote the book, uh, Four Stages of Psychological Safety. And to me, this is the baseline. This is, you know, the baseline, the foundation for establishing a high performing organization. So in Tim's book, he outlines psychological safety in four stages. First one's belonger safety, i.e. Uh, I feel comfortable here. You know, I, this, this organization and I, our values, we fit. That's what happens when people generally um, just randomly quit, right? They don't feel like their values line up and they're like, eh, I don't feel safe. You know, this is not a good fit for me. That's because they don't have longer safety. Second one is learner safety. So I show up, I make a mistake and I'm not getting severely reprimanded for it. I'm able to actually learn from it and, you know, apply my own, you know, process and move on. Stage three is contributor safety. So now I've learned from my mistakes. I'm saying, hey, uh, by the way, Mads, like we should look at this area. And, and, and we should look at improving this here, this process here. Like this isn't flowing well. And you take that and you run with it. And then finally, stage four is I, I've provided you the input. You come back with, hey, here's my solution. I'm like, ah, that's not going to work, bud. That's not going to work at all. 
And then instead of you going reprimanding me for that, you're like, okay, let me know. All right. So challenger safety stage four is where you want your organization to be. And the reason for that is that's where all high performing you know, organizational cultures actually reside at. Uh, for example, when you talk to special forces folks, when they talk about planning a mission, they'll sit there at the table and they'll go over their mission and they'll go around the table. Everyone who's involved in the mission, whether that is the officer commanding it right down to the brand new newest member. And they will go through that and they will pick that, that plan apart until everyone is comfortable with every aspect of the plan or they understand that it's been mitigated or whatever. But that's why I mean by challenger safety. They're actually in there. Everyone is challenging it because congratulations, you as a leader, as smart as you are, you can't know everything. You can't see everything. You need people to challenge you because that reveals your blind spots. And if the organization, if that's breed it into the organization, now what's going to actually happen is the organization itself is going to elevate itself. It's going to enable people to feel safe. It's going to enable people to or enable the organization itself to expose its own blind spots to internally. So then all of a sudden you don't have these cultures where things are getting, you know, uh, swept under rugs and hidden and all of a sudden a line becomes, you know, a, a actually accepted thing in the culture. You know, how many organizations out there have we seen of cover-ups? Well, that isn't breed, you know, that doesn't occur from a person, but rather that occurs from the organizational culture has been able to be bred into that person by working there. So having this challenger safety enables people to go, hey, we got problems here. We need to fix this. This is wrong. We need to do better here. This is the problem. Boss, you haven't thought about that. And right now, personally, while I'm away, I'm actually restructuring my team and I'm like, Hey, this is my idea. I put it on down on, on paper for them. I said, well, I'm away. Go ahead. Have at it. Pick it apart. Question me. I want you to question every aspect of this plan. Why? Because we need to get it right for you guys, not for me, but you guys. And I'm instilling my team, that culture of organized, you know, challenger safety, enable them. It takes a lot of work, but we're getting there. That is a high performing culture. That is how you lead your organization. Now, there's many other ways that you lead your organization. This is the where I like to go. Um, you know, if you are, if you're not taking care of your organization from a culture standpoint, uh, you know, cult, it will destroy you. If you breathe a culture, organizational culture that enables cover-ups, enables lying, cheating, deceit, you know, sexual misconduct, stuff like this, that will destroy you. Right? Yeah. It will cause you to have you know, to go backwards, not forward. And then all of a sudden you're trying to fix things. But if you enable people to challenge things, now you're getting somewhere. Now you're going to be moving forward. So that's, that's one of my favorites. I think like in so many organizations, particularly if you have individuals who are super high performers, they often end up getting away with cutting out the, cutting around the rules and, and not adhering to the culture. And that's one of the fastest way I generally see for breaking down great culture is when you actually have people that you let away with doing things that would normally not be okay just because they're a high performer. And some, sometimes even one person like that can end up ruining the whole culture just based on how they're being led and managed, right? By doing nothing, you're condoning the activity, right? So it doesn't matter. The rules are the rules. It doesn't matter who... You know, it's supposed to affect everyone the same. So it doesn't matter if it's your high performer, your top salesperson, doesn't matter if it's you, the CEO. 
you're the business owner. It doesn't matter. The rules are the rules. And that's how you breed that high-performing culture. If you expect everyone to be there at eight o'clock, you as a leader, you should be there at eight o'clock too. Now, you know what? Sometimes something pops up, you got a meeting, you're taking it from home, whatever. Yeah, okay. You know what? Be transparent. I, as a leader, whenever I show up late, I'm transparent. I'm like, yeah, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a meeting. I decided to just take it from home this morning. That's why I'm showing up late, guys, because I expect my team to be there on time too. Just be a little bit transparent. Oh, I'm late. Sorry. Boss called. You know, it sucked me in. Hey, traffic was bad. You know what? And and shows one, you know, where you've been and shows that the rules aren't, you're not above the rules, just like the rest of the team. But two, it shows the humanity of you. And now back to what I talked about, you know, basically at the beginning of the show, people can relate to you a lot better now because like, okay, he's not just this arrogant asshole that thinks he's superhuman or he's above everyone else you know what? oh he's got a family too you gotta take care of this he gets stuck in traffic too oh he's got meetings that okay that goes a bit long whatever it shows your humanity but if you're like i'm above the rules they're above the rules now you're breeding in a you know a, an organizational culture that standards don't mean anything the rules don't mean anything you know, get it done. Okay. Well, yeah, but you can also get it done by making sure you follow, you know, the rules and stuff. And if you can't get it done by following the rules, then you need to go back and revisit the rules and the expectations. And like, wait now. And that's that whole challenger safety thing because people would be like, why are we doing this for? Like, why, why this, this tripped me up. Like you're expecting me to do this. Like the TPS report needs to go through eight people before it gets to you. But they only look at it and hand it off. Like, why don't I just take it and give it to you? <laughs> like, so there's so many times that people are like, I don't understand why I do this step or I have to do this thing. One thing for me that's super, super helpful as well is making sure you actually have a diversity of different types of people. Uh, yeah. that, that There's always this good saying where people always hire people like themselves, which is very true uh, in a lot of cases. And that the challenge is that, yeah, it's great to get people to challenge you, but if everyone thinks like you and breathes like you, then they're going to challenge right. you for, from your point of view, right? So one of the very important things with actually having different types of individuals and different types of personalities in your team is the fact that people look at things differently. They think differently. They, they approach problems differently. Some people do things fast. Some people do things slow. And some people do things differently, right? And, and having diversity within your team is so critically for getting the most out of everyone, right? No, absolutely. And, and then, you know, you basically need to go back to, uh, before you get to that point is look at the jobs that you have and you go, okay, well, what do I actually need them to achieve? What, what, what are the requirements? And then when, as you go through the whole, you know, staffing process, setting up what they refer to as different gateways where you're filtering out certain people. And if you can identify the different character traits that you don't want, right, that yep. you don't want, now you can actually make that a gateway. So I don't want someone who thinks like me. Therefore, I need someone who's creative because I'm a highly analytical type, right? So now I'm like, okay, not creative, not, not analytical. I need someone creative. Boom. You just, it's just a way of, you know, filtering out through the whole application process, hiring process, a way for you to actually say, force that diversity a bit to force that, you know, so you're not getting all yes people in, in your job, but at the same time, you tell them if you don't establish though, it doesn't matter if you don't establish that sense of psychological safety where people can say no to you or provide pushback. It doesn't matter. You can have the most diverse team in the world, but they're not going to say anything to you. 
because as soon as someone as soon as someone says something you know completely different different uh different style different thought process whatever you know like hey you know i i don't agree with that i think we should go right here for the following reasons like i don't care we're going left i said it this is what we're doing well that 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 uh i will tell you that challenger safety is gone and i bet you continue to do that your contributor safety is going to go and you're down to learner safety and someone's going to start going, well, am I actually even there? And now suddenly all these great ideas that your team has is being destroyed because you don't have the organizational culture that is enabling them to bring it up in the first place. So diversity totally. is great, but if you don't have the culture that enables people to bring that diversity, you know, the benefits that diversity forward, it's not going to get you anywhere in any way. Yeah. I love it. Love it, Scott. Any particular resources that you are a huge fan of? You mentioned a book already, but any any particular resources that you really recommend for leaders and managers to to get their hands on? Yeah, I, yeah, huge reader. Um, I'm on my way to reading well over 52 books a year. Um, so I'll throw out a couple of different books. Uh, so Four Stages of Psychological Safety by Tim Clark is a huge one. Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, former FBI uh, top negotiator. Uh, that's a excellent read there as well uh let me think of whether uh it's your ship by a gentleman uh, u.s navy captain michael absara i can never pronounce his last name properly so uh it's called it's your ship fantastic book uh, and i'll give you a quick anecdotal story uh from that one so in there he talked about a time where he wrote a uh, young sailor's parents with the great work that he was doing and uh, he talks about the story about the sailor bursting into his office in tears and stuff like this. And uh, I was commanding a squadron, 200 members, and I was getting it near the end of my command time. So I decided to kind of pull something similar. So I sent out a, a bunch of letters and uh, I sent it out probably about three weeks before I, I finished up, before I moved on to my next job. And lo and behold, one of my members approached me and she's like, you sent a letter to my parents? I said, yeah, yeah, I did. I, and I told them about the great work you do because you do some amazing things for us and stuff she's like it's framed in their living room right now imagine how good she felt like she she was she wasn't in tears but you can see the pride she was like my parents never understood what i did now yeah it's from a military context but still like you can you can go ahead and do that for your organization you can do that for your team Right. And that's just another that. way of just showing, you know, having that connection with your team and how well you know your team. So, yeah, those are a few books out there for for leaders um, to check out, check out for sure. Excellent. And if people want to get in contact with you or check out what you're sharing and so on, what's the best way to do so? Leaddon'tboss.com is my website. Uh, you can check that out. You want to check out my my podcast, Peak Performance Leadership. You can check out leaddon'tboss.com forward slash subscribe and there there's a subscribe button that you just click and whatever app you use you can subscribe that way it's super simple and easy but that's that's the best way through through my website uh, leaddon'tboss.com you can see everything that i got going on from my podcast to my mastermind community uh, a few blog posts that i write from time to time i'm a much bigger podcaster than i'm writer uh so yeah but yeah leaddon'tboss.com or leaddon'tboss.com forward slash subscribe Fantastic. Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for sharing all your wealth of knowledge. That was fantastic. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
Excellent. And for the audience, thank you for hanging on all the way to the end. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.